This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Wow, full house. Uh, welcome, everyone. Welcome to Jikoji Zen Center. Um, some of you are, we have a group from Stanford. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. We have a circumstance here of, of uh, talking, having a talk. Um, this tradition called the uh, Zen tradition, um, Zen is a, uh, a Japanese uh, translation of, of Chan, the Chinese word Chan. Um, and it's abbreviation from uh, Chana. And Chana is the Chinese uh, um, tr- translation or interpretation of um, dhyana, the Sanskrit dhyana from India, which basically means meditation. So this, this is a Zen center. And in a Zen center, what we mainly do is meditation. We're kind of, you could say we're kind of specialists in meditation. It's basically what we do. Um, but occasionally we have um, uh, we occasionally we have a talk and sometimes we have services. But uh, meditation is our our kind of nuts and bolts thing. So thank you all for this morning for joining in the meditation. And uh, basically that's what I'm going to talk about today: uh, the experience of meditation. A few weeks ago, uh, uh, another uh, guiding teacher at Jikoji, uh, Cliff, uh, gave a, uh, a comprehensive exegesis on, on the meditation experience. And um, uh, in the past, too, I've been talking about uh, basically a sen- sense of place, a sense of arriving that uh, is endemic to the meditation experience. And I'm going to stay on that topic today. So uh, uh, let's, uh, let's investigate together what, what we're actually doing, or have done, or will do, um, this meditation experience. So traditionally, we begin with a uh, with a story from our, our teaching past. Um, this story is from uh, from in from uh, not from India, but from China, from the kind of uh, golden age of of Chan or Zen in the Tang Dynasty. And it's a it's a story, but basically it's a conversation that um, starts a starts a kind of uh, teaching or understanding. So this teach this uh, story is uh, goes this way. At at one time, the teacher Jian Fang was approached by a monk who asked, "All the awakened ones." 
of the ten directions are on one road, which is the gate of nirvana. Where is that road? John Feng drew a line in the air with his staff, and he said, it's here. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's all. I'm done. <laughs> um, so this is from uh, case number 61 from the Shoyuroku, or it's also called the Book of Serenity. It's a collection of these um, these conversations, you could say. Uh, When we hear the word nirvana, nirvana is, I think, a rather common word at this point. We've all heard it. And we might associate it with a sense of, of, of bliss, of well-being, of um, serenity. Um, um, it's commonly been translated as extinction. Um, and the metaphor is of a, of a flame that's gone out. Uh, a flame, uh, this flame could be called the um, binding uh, passions of uh, attachment, aggression, and delusion. So nirvana, um, as as it's, uh, there's a teacher named Thanissara Bhikkhu, a wonderful uh, Buddhist teacher, who refined this term from its etymology, and he he said uh, that it's it's not extinction; it's to unbind, to release. It's unbinding. It's unbinding, and the the uh, the understanding is that. Fire is bound to its source of fuel. And, and if it's free from its source of fuel, in this case, attachment, aversion, delusion, um, if, it's, if it's released from its fuel, it's free. It's liberated. It's unbound. And that's the, that's the actual understanding of uh, nirvana, to be released, to be unbound, to be free. So, Jian uh, Feng, when asked uh, what that all the awakened ones in the ten directions are on one road, one road, which is the gate of nirvana, he said, it's here. So I'm, I, what I'd like to investigate with you today is what is this here? What is here? What does it mean to be here? Let's look at that. Let's see if we can understand, I mean, not just intellectually, but you know, with our whole body and mind, what it means to be here.
In this context, I've been thinking a lot about uh, what it means to be uh, connected in uh, what we call in this tradition a, a sangha or a community. Um, but it could be any group, any group of friends, any, any, uh, any society, what it means to be connected. And I, some people, some people who come to this practice uh, are, are just, uh, they're just investigating, they're just shopping, you could say, spiritually shopping. Uh, but some people stay for a while and some people um, really uh, get involved in this practice. And I, I have this, uh, I guess you'd say, idealistic view of sangha, of community, that it involves uh, all beings, every, all beings in the ten directions, all, uh, that it's totally inclusive. Um, and I, I still have that view, I still carry that view, I, I don't think I'll, ever stop carrying that view. But lately I've been uh, I've been more engaged and uh, trying to come to an understanding of what it means to be to be to be part of a sangha, to be part of a community, to be present locally, to be immediately here of with your with your sort of with your sort of biological position you know your consciousness is biologically located what does it mean to be in place to be here right now you know? so my sense of sangha is like basically who shows up who's here and um, and you're all here, so um, we're all here. So thank you for being sangha today. It's uh, it's good. It's good. It's good to be in a community and to be together. We all um, when when we engage in this practice, it's uh, you could say it's completely individual practice. You're totally responsible for your practice. You can come and sit with other people, of course, and uh, uh, waste time or just hang out um, or be totally engaged. It's up to you. You're responsible. You're the boss of your meditation practice. Um, it's kind of like uh, driving a car. You know, you have to steer your own car. You're, you're your own vehicle. You're not on a bus and someone else is driving for you. Um, but... We're sangha. We're community. We're socially related to. We're socially related. Um, so we're on, we're all on the same highway, you could say, of life. Um, but we we're driving with our individual vehicles. And of course. Um, in getting a sense of what is 
here, what is local, what we're with as a community, as a, in this shared existence. Um, we can't neglect the fact that some people are, aren't here, like family members aren't here, or some people have passed away, or some people are, are maybe they're practicing, but they're practicing in another place. And of course, we carry them with us, I think. We carry with us all, all of life, and specifically those people that uh, we feel a strong connection to us. So in a certain sense, they're with us in our memory, in our knowledge uh, as well. So it includes that, it includes that. But still, we might ask, you know, of the moment, who's here? Are we here? Are we here? Have we arrived? Have we, are we really here? And who's with us? And what is with us? What part of ourselves is here, has arrived? There's a, there's a term called um, presence. Have you, have you heard of this? term presence or to be present it's kind of a popular term not just in buddhism but also in um, in kind of the new age self help arena and there's uh, there's another term called mindfulness that's very popular i think everyone's heard that term kind of chewed on that term a little bit maybe um and also awareness. Awareness is another popular term in kind of the spiritual milieu as, as, as it is right now. Um, but I, lately I've been experimenting with something. I've been experimenting with exchanging the word awareness with another word that's close to it, but a little more uh, specific, you could say. Um, I'm trying, instead of practicing awareness, uh, I'm trying to practice awareness, to be where I am, to be where, wearing, <laughs> rather than awareing. Um, and it, it um, you first think about where. Awareness. It's, of course, it's, what comes up is a kind of spacious, a spatial sense. You know, I'm like right now. We can say uh, we're all together here. Where are you? where are we? We're all together here in the Zen Center, right? We're we're in this in this room together. This is where we are. But we can expand that a little bit. We can say where where are you? Where are you emotionally? Where are you cognitively? Where is it? Where is, where is the beingness of you uh, at this moment? So that's a question I've been 
sort of been changing the, the language a little bit, and that's a question I've been um, bringing to myself, saying, Mike, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Mike, where are you? Oh. There's, a, there's another Zen story of a, of a, a Zen monk, and I, I have this image of him. Uh, I'm not sure if it's accurate, but I have this image of him as being an older, older uh, Zen teacher who's kind of retired or semi-retired, and he's living alone in a hermit, hermitage um, in a, and practicing by himself. And being alone for a long time, uh, naturally we sometimes fall into the habit of talking to ourselves. You know? So this story is is about uh, uh, someone named Zuigan, and Zuigan is a. Uh, this is what Zuigan does uh, every morning. He uh, addresses himself. He says. Zuigan, Zuigan, where are you? And then he answers himself, here I am, here I am, I'm here. So this is, in a sense, this is like he's, he's checking in with the, with the, uh, what's called the, the threefold practice. Threefold practices: meditation, shamatha, and uh, vipassana. Meditation, uh, samadhi. Sometimes it's called. Um, he's checking in with the meditation here by saying, "Here I am. Here I am." Uh, and then he also uh, continued with his threefold practices. He he said, "Zuigan." Zuigan, don't be deceived. And in, in this instance, he's checking in with, with Dharma, with the teachings, with prajna, with knowledge. He's saying, know what's going on. Come to knowledge. Know what's going on. And then he would answer, yes, yes, sir, yes, sir. I won't be deceived. Um, and... Uh, the third one is uh, ethics, or sila, or action, right action. Uh, and he would say to himself, Zuigan, you'd better shape up. You'd better shape up. And he'd say, yes, sir, yes, sir, I will shape up. I'll shape up. <laughs> so with these, this was his morning check-in, you could say. He... He reviewed the threefold practice. He arrived. He met himself and um, said, I'm here. I'm here. So let's, let's ask ourselves what it means to be here. It's kind of assumed that it's understood that I'm here. Hey, I'm here. I've, I've arrived. I'm 
embodied. My, my consciousness is, um, I have my cognitive faculties, uh, and I have my, my sense field. <coughs> but what, what does it really mean to arrive? To be, to be being, being here or being there. That's this uh, Dyson of Heidegger. This, this critical uh, uh, or specific attention to presence, to actually being present. Well, um, there's a story of a Buddha, of the original Shakyamuni Buddha. <coughs> before he was the, before he was the Buddha, was the Siddhartha Gautamata, the Buddha to be. He uh, had a time when he was actually. Uh, he had some real serious uncertainties about his, his path, his practice. Um, he didn't know if he could continue or wanted to continue. Um, and he had desires for, he was missing his previous life. He, he, didn't, he, he didn't know if he could release those desires and continue with his practice. And uh, this was called, this is called uh, Mara. Uh, this was like the great doubt of the, of the historical Buddha. And uh, what he did was he, he touched the ground right where he was. He touched the ground. And, and this is called the, uh, the Earth Witness Mudra. And you, you'll see this in, um, sometimes in a, in a statue or representation of a Buddha, you see the you see the hand touching the ground. And what the Buddha what the Buddha fundamentally did with this gesture is he said, "I'm here. I I am here. I'm I'm embodied. I'm in place right here. I'm of the earth. I've arrived." And so Mara, don't mess with me. Uh, <laughs> uh, doubt, I, I release you. And, and this gesture was a kind of turning point, it said, according to the story. It was a kind of turning point with the Buddha. He, from that point, from the confirmation of his, his presence in place, he could, con he could continue his practice and um, negotiate the way of, of awakening and therefore from this, from this little place in India, probably he was in the woods, in the, um, he had done ascetic practices before and he was practicing outdoors in uh, northern India from that place, um, 
And from that resolve and from that, that hand touching what we now call Buddhism, what continued and opened up. And so here we are in a Buddhist center. <laughs> from, from this gesture of saying, I'm here. In India, there's a uh, kind of cultural understanding of place that's, uh, it's called Svadharma, Svadharma. And it's, uh, it implies a kind of duty, um, a duty of, of your place. And it also, uh, Svadharma explains a sense of caste or one's responsibility for their place in society. Um, you could even say in a, in a contemporary situation like a, a doctor would have Svadharma to, uh, to be in place as a doctor and to, to heal his patients or her patients. Um, in the Bhagavad Gita, um, what was his name? Uh, Krishna was the Arjuna. chariot, huh? Arjuna. 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 Is that is that right? Arjuna. 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 Um, had to come to terms with his svadharma, his duty as a warrior, and that's and that's a this is a wonderful teaching uh, to have uh, this responsibility for one's this uh, place in life in society, and we all we all have conditions and circumstances. And even family obligations or uh, traditions that come to us from birth that um, prescribe a, a kind of svadharma, a sense of responsibility or duty to place. But, uh, but place in this sense, I want to talk about, a, I want to, I don't think is specifically svadharma. It isn't anything that's predestined or set up uh, beforehand. The place of practice uh, involves something, <coughs> something that is uh, another Sanskrit word. It's called chetana, and chetana means uh, is usually translated as choice. Uh, we actually to choose something to make a deliberate choice, to, to actually have the freedom to make a choice, and the, the, you could say the equipment to make a choice, and to actually choose. In other words, the, the understanding of this practice of 
is it's we freely cho choose to do it. We intend to do it. We have the aspiration. We have the intention. We have the will. And we, ch we, we choose to sit down for a while and meet our body and mind to, to arrive, to be here. That's uh, chattana, chattana, to choose. So there's no special place and there's no destiny and we're not, we're fundamentally not duty bound uh, by birth. There's no quintessential right place for us. There's nothing to carry us forever being held in our cribs, in our special realm of uh, entitlement or circumstance. We, this is the nature of, this is, this is the nature of human beings that we can choose. And this is, this practice is, a, is made by choice, um, not by circumstance. Not by duty, but by choice. So Dogen Zenji once said, when you find the place where you are, then practice occurs. Actualizing the fundamental point. When you find the place where you are, practice occurs, actualizing the fundamental point. A friend of mine who, uh, abbot of, uh, who was the abbot of San Francisco Zen Center, an old, an old Buddha named Steve Stuckey, um, said it this way, he said, just be thoroughly present and get out of the way. That's practice. <laughs> he also said, it doesn't take too long to get to now. And here's another uh, saying uh, from another Zen teacher, Tian Tong. He said, there are no walls in the ten directions. From the very beginning, there is fundamentally, fundamentally no obstruction and no doors in the four quarters. So, just right here, enter the way. What is this here-ness? What is, what is this here? In my kind of experimental practice of awareness, of awareness, 
Um, it's not just a spatial, like noticing that I'm in a room, or noticing that I'm, I've arrived, and, but it's more, uh, you could say, as far as I've taken it, uh, it's, I've noticed something else. I've noticed that when I feel like I'm in place, when I'm attentive in that particular way, when I'm in place, um, there is there is what's called sparsa, contact. There is actually meeting something, touching something. There is a kind of, you could say there is a kind of exchange or a, uh, a, a kind of communication that is endemic to just the meeting itself. Um, in other words, like when I, I might uh, pick up an object and in that tactile sense of just touching touching the object there's a kind of there's a kind of meeting and if it is not if you if it, if it is not sort of I don't, I, tempted to say contaminated, if it's not confused, if this situation is not confused with um, excessive ideation, like I'm thinking too much, I have too much commentary going on, or I'm, I, have a, I have a fixed view of what I'm touching, if I, if I think this is hot or cold or um, that might be, that's a kind of minimal view. But if I have a view that this is a really good cup of, this is coffee, by the way. Um, if I have a, if I have a good that, view that this is a really fantastic cup of coffee, and the coffee is actually kind of, I don't know, it's terrible. It kind of got sour or something. Um, then, of course, my view, my view the view that I bring to it will be uh, it will it will overshadow or or obscure the actual experience the actual experience of just touching this object and maybe tasting the coffee and if the this is the point and if I and if I can meet this object just as it is, then possibly I can meet the I can meet the person the that's picking up this object as it is. In other words, I can be uh, I can arrive. I can be here. I can meet. I can be here just as I am, and. I can meet the cup of coffee just as it is. In Zen we call this a shika, just, kind of, just, just for itself. Well, um, I 
think I. Oh, uh, one more thing. There's a follow-up to this initial story of Jian Feng. Remember, he um, he uh, was asked, uh, "What the, what is that one road? What is that one road that uh, is the way of all the awakened beings? What is this one road uh, that is the gate of Nirvana?" And Jian Feng said, he, he drew a line with, drew a, made a mark with his staff, and he said, it's here. It is here. It's here, Ness. Uh, um, so that was his answer. But um, in, as, as the way the story came to us, there's, a, there's another answer that was offered by um, uh, Yun Men. And Yunmen uh, Yunmen answered the same question uh, this way. He said, "This is a little less direct." He said, uh, "Quite a bit less direct." He said, "The fan leaps up to the thirty-three heavens and hits the emperor of the gods on it on the nose. The carp." of the eastern sea is hit once with a stick and it rains buckets. Do you understand? Do you understand? Do you understand? <laughs> well, it's, it's not as clear as right here, but... Uh, <laughs> But maybe we can unpack this. Um, uh, I think we do understand, in a sense. Um, we understand that the, the incidental toss of a fan, for example, or touching, just being in a pond and touching a fish that goes by with a stick, those kind of, what you might say, uh, casual gestures that we make. Um, they we know on some level that they whatever gesture we make however incidental it 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 affects us it affects the world it affects it it turns the wheel of the dharma it, uh, it changes the world. Whatever little casual gesture we make, this is, this is Yun Men's answer. Whatever incidental thing we do has an effect, has repercussions, has karma. Um, so, how can I not how can I not attend to what is right here? How can I not attend to what is right before me? To this stick touching a fish or, the, or a fan being just cast, cast up in the air. Or just the moment or just the place.
think that's enough. Have we had enough hereness, thereness, awareness? Would anyone like to uh, contribute or add or have a question? Um, I think we have some time. Uh, some some people back there. Would it be in harmony with what you're saying to say? We don't find the place. The place finds us. Yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah, okay. yeah. I think when you're out, when you could say when you're when you're not um, obscuring it with selfness, then the self itself is avail. Then the place itself is available to be to be itself and to to meet it to meet it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good point. Well, I really like this place to find out. Um, you mentioned emotion. Could you talk up a bit? Sure. Um, you m you me oh, it's about here. Um, you mentioned what about your emotionally, your cognitive, um, conscious. Um, uh, yeah, I can ensure those are here. But how do I know my subconscious? which is the vast ocean of me, is here. There's no way for me to know at all. Do you need to know? I don't need to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly, I don't need to know. We, yeah, we, the vast ocean, you said, of self, the vast ocean of being yeah. that you are, is that what you said? I, I just feel like there's um when you talk about emotion, cognitive, that was just the tip of the iceberg. Did you say emotion or ocean? Uh, e emotion. Emotion. E you mentioned emotion, cognitive, uh -huh. conscious. I just feel like that was just the tip of the iceberg. But something underneath, which is a vast ocean, which is subconscious, whatever, uh -huh. there's no way for me to know. And then you're saying, maybe I, I don't need to know. But are they here? <laughs> Is it here? Is it here? Well, actually, uh, that's that's a good point because that that's the kind of inquiry that comes up. You could say, with with an arrival in a place, is uh, who's basically who's with me, or what's with me, or what am I with, you know, or what has arrived, you know. And is it a self? And what is, what is, you know, we have this lexicon, this identifier uh, called a self. Um, uh, what is that self? So that kind of inquiry is like, I would say it's the, uh, the fruition. It's part of the fruition of, of uh, arrival. Another way to look at this is uh, it's called the Ocean Seal Samadhi. And Dogen Zenji said uh, when it's kind of strange, it's kind of strange language, but he said when, when walking on the ocean, when being on the surface of the ocean, you should also walk on the bottom of the ocean. When, 
In other words, uh, our, the surface of our lives, it's like the waves, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, diversity and interest and there's a lot of stuff. There's waves, there's waves, emotional waves, cognitive waves, physical, sensory waves. Um, we are on the surface of the ocean, but we should know that while we're on the surface of the ocean, we're also walking on the bottom of the ocean, which is kind of what you said. There's, 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 and, and the bottom of the ocean is, there's no waves. It's, it's dark. So it's not necessarily noticed or visible. And everything's connected. Everything is totally involved. There's no separation. So um, we should know that simultaneously, while walking on the surface, while being on the surface of the ocean, we're also in the depth of the ocean. Yeah. That's, the, that's the teaching from, from Dogen Zenji. Any, anything else? Yeah, one more. Um, when you said awareness, then you said awareness. I actually heard you say wareness. So what am I wearing with <laughs> So I have to wear what I am when I am where and aware. <laughs> I could run with that. <laughs> Do a little shopping too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good metaphor because what you wear, what you wear on the outside, is that your point, right? What you wear on the outside, you sort of bring with you as a person, you know, what you display and how you present yourself, and even how you think of yourself. Yeah. Uh, I just want to make a comment on um, on being here from an uh, from a uh, from kind of a lesson I learned from one of the dance teachers at Stanford. Uh, he wrote this book where he talked about uh, being here on the dance floor when your partner dancing. And uh, he, he classified it in terms of a skill and, and being conscious of that skill. So it would, there were four categories. Uh, one was that before you take a dance lesson and, uh, or before you uh, learn a certain pattern for a dance and before you enter the dance floor, you are in a state of what we call uh, unconscious incompetence. Unconscious incompetence. Yeah, I like it. And, and when you when you <laughs> when you go on the dance floor for the first time, you're conscious of your incompetence. So you move from unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence. Yeah. And then you and then you take the lesson. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you become I competent. Wait. And you're what? And you become competent. You take the dance lesson. You, you learn the competent. dancing. And you and you, from there you move to uh, conscious competence. Conscious com competence. Conscious competence. <laughs> and, and if you keep dancing long enough, and once you're out of the dance floor, you're again unconscious of your competence. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so from being, uh, from being unconsciously incompetent, you go to unconscious competen competence. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed that works better, works best, because uh, I've been uh, teaching a bit of uh, dancing lately, I think what what works best is to is to s kind of stay in that third state 
which is stay in that what the, the third state the third state of of conscious competence or because um, because th that way you're always here with your dance partner and it's very important on the dance floor because the moment you kind of like go into unconscious competence there's a high chance that uh, you're not going to be there and you can bump into somebody you can mm. crash into somebody mm. Mm. because of like yeah all that you're not you're not paying attention yes yeah. <laughs> yeah. but wouldn't wouldn't there also be a sense of like um, you lose a sense of selfness and and the dance is just the dance is dancing itself so would yes. that be would that be uh, yes, I, I, I that's I, a subtle thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I think I get where you're coming from, and I, I say that also that, um, like, w the dancing is at its best when there's music and there's nothing else, and so, so yeah. y you are yeah. translating, yeah. you're translating the music into movements, and your your left brain kind of like shuts off. And yeah, yeah. And you just yeah. you just like translate just that. there, yeah. yeah. You're just there. Yeah. Sometimes the, in Zen, the, sometimes we say um, zazen. When, you, when your practice is going well, you say you're not doing zazen. Zazen is doing zazen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. yeah. Good, good point. Yeah. I was just wondering if you could kind of for my sake maybe, just end with a, like just a moment of kind of dedication or recollection of um, how we're interconnected in this planet and maybe trying to bring that to mind more, um, our intention, our chikana, um as we go forward. Sounds good, yeah. that sounds good. Let's put our hands in gusho and could you just say something to that effect? Um, These Dharma brothers and sisters, Sangha members present, I hope we can bear witness together and intend collectively and individually to live in such a way uh, to restore health and harmony on this planet for all life forms, for all animals, insects, ecosystems, plants, trees, and for each other in recognition that we all are in this together, and hopefully we can remember this as we move forward away from this space. Good, good. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jikoji, please visit us on the web at jikoji.org.